All right, let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to tonight. The book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 5 tonight. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and beginning in verse number 5. All right, the word of God says, But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with over with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that, Lord God, you would just bless the lesson tonight. Continue to bless this church. Father God, use it for your glory, for your honor. We thank you for bringing us here tonight in the middle of the week. Lord God, that we can pause from the busyness of life. And Father God, focus on that which ought to be the mainstay of our life. And that is you, Lord God, your word, the gospel. And Lord, as we continue this series and Lord, begin to finish it up, these 13 principles for us to live by. I pray, Lord God, that tonight we would pay special attention, Father, for every one of these is applicable, but I think probably tonight's will touch a little deeper. And Father, I thank you now and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. You ought rather to forgive. This is one of the hardest principles to live by because we tend to think that there are things that are unforgivable and things that we shouldn't have to forgive. But if that be the case, then we'd have to throw out the word of God because God's word says that all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men. And since God is our example, we are to live by that example. Now, there are some offenses which are, humanly speaking, impossible to forgive. Sometimes the ways people have hurt us are relatively minor, and sometimes they run so deep as to be irrevocable and life-altering. In these times especially, we may believe that it is our right to hold on to the offense or to hold a grudge, withhold forgiveness. But God's instruction is not what we would assume. God doesn't say, forgive unless. God says, forgive. Continue to forgive. An infinite number of times we are to forgive. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul challenged the church of Corinth to forgive an unnamed individual. Bible commentators think this may have been the individual who was under church discipline in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I tend to go along those lines, but it really doesn't matter who it is. The, the truth of the matter is, obviously, 
he had been church disciplined. The Bible says he had been punished by many, but he had repented. And now the, the uh, obligation to repentance is to reestablish, to forgive. And so the challenge was that while the man had repented, the church seems to have not received or accepted him. He was still a marked man, if you will. So Paul challenged the church to think and act differently than their natural inclinations. And that's what this entire study, these 13 principles, by the way, we're on principle number 12 tonight. You ought rather to forgive. So you can see we're, we're nearing the end of it. But these 13 principles are all going against our nature, all going against that which is our natural inclination. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse number 7, So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Notice in particular the word contrarywise. Paul was instructing the church to literally go against what felt right to them in this situation. Oftentimes, if we're going to obey the Word of God, we have to go against our own feelings. We're going to have to go against our own emotions. We're going to have to go against that which feels right. So this whole idea, well, it, it just feels right, or that just doesn't feel right. The Word of God is trying to get us to not think that way, to think that even if it doesn't feel right, if God's word says it is right, then that's the direction we need to go. And by the way, when you're going in that direction and continue going in that direction, you're going to understand how right that actually does feel after a while. So contrary to holding a grudge, God's word says they should forgive. Indeed, our natural tendency is to hold grudges, to seek revenge, to refuse to forgive. Well, I'm just not going to talk to that person anymore. I'm just not going to be around that person. I can forgive them, but I'm just not going to be around them anymore. We're going to learn later tonight that that's not true forgiveness. Forgiveness is necessary for the blessings and power of God. In fact, Paul told this church that Satan could use an unforgiving spirit as a way to gain an advantage. And since we don't want Satan to gain an advantage over the church or over us uh, individually, then we need to obey God's mandate to forgive everyone. So not over the one who, who did the wrong, but over those who refuse to forgive. That's who Satan's going to gain the advantage over. Second Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, to whom ye forgive anything. I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Remember, Paul had a lot to forgive this church for. They had gossiped about him. They had bad-mouthed him. They had literally drug him through the mud. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, they, they were saying some unflattering things about him and the way that he preached, and yet they owed their very souls to the Apostle Paul. And I say that in a human, uh, humanly speaking. Obviously, we don't owe our souls to any man. We owe our souls to God. We owe our salvation to God. But God uses men who are willing and faithful 
to bring us to Christ, to nurture us, to disciple us. And so they were dragging Paul's name through the mud, even though he was the founder of this church. And yet Paul uh, told them that uh, I I, I forgave all, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. When you're on a sports team playing against another team, you want to gain an advantage. And for this reason, you might study their strategy. You might study their plays. You might watch their films. One of the things you're going to study is their tendencies. And in, in knowing their tendencies and knowing their strategies, you're going to gain an advantage and, and hopefully win the game. When we harbor an unforgiving spirit, we give Satan an advantage to work destruction in our lives. He's got the upper hand now. Bitterness is in my heart. Therefore, sin is in my heart. Therefore, I no longer have God's uh, blessings on me. I've opened the hedge that God has built around me. I've opened it up. There's a breach. And you know, when there's a breach in the hedge or there's a breach in the dam, then that which you're trying to hold back has freedom to go through. And so when I have an unforgiving spirit, I have opened the door for Satan. Literally, it's just like um, witchcraft or just like uh, uh, opening your, your uh, heart to, to demons and to demonism. Um, it's rebellion. Additionally, we give Satan an advantage to work destruction in the lives of others because if it affects me, we know this bitterness is like a cancer and it begins to spread. When we harbor bitterness, it destroys the lives of others as well. Many families have been torn apart because a spouse or a parent refused to forgive. Many children have been deeply affected and eventually hardened their own hearts to God because of the bitterness that they saw in their parents. And so now Satan's gotten the upper hand not only over one individual in the family, but now he's able to tear an entire family apart because that bitterness has spread. Also, many churches have split over matters that could have been resolved through forgiveness. Bitterness is something that once it gets into the church, it becomes a huge hindrance to that church. So, like all sins, this one is not personal. And this one actually may be uh, more contagious than any of the others. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 15, warns us of this very thing. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Not just the person with whom the bitterness resides, but the Bible says many are defiled. According to Matthew 18, forgiveness has to do with canceling a debt that we feel someone owes us. Jesus told that story in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 23, through the story about forgiveness. He said in Matthew 18, verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. 
The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into the prison till he should pay the debt. All right, so and you know the rest of the story. The, the king gets wind of what just happened. And now the king's wrath is turned against not the one who owed the hundred pence, but the one who was not forgiving. Bible forgiveness is complete. It's unconditional. And it's continual. That means, and by the way, this is a, a lesson for married couples. Listen, once you forgive something, and then your spouse does something else later, that doesn't give you license to go back to that thing that you forgave and bring it up again and say, well, now you, you, you always do this. Remember when? No, forgiveness is supposed to be continual. That means you don't go back and bring it back up again. You deal with the problem that is at hand. And so Bible forgiveness is complete, unconditional, and continual. Aren't you glad that when we mess up, God doesn't bring all our sins back on us? No, we just need to get the one taken care of that we just did, the, the sin that we just committed. When we got at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when we ask God to forgive us our sins, we don't have to go back and ask him to save us again. It's the sins that we committed today that we haven't confessed yet today. The thought I just had, Lord, please forgive me of that sin. Man, I'm so glad God doesn't bring them all back up and say, you know, you always do this. Now, Satan will. And so when we do that to others... Guess who we're listening to? Guess who we're being obedient to? And guess who's using us? God's not using us to straighten that person out. Satan's using us to harbor bitterness and to cause that bitterness to spread and to keep things from being healed that ought to be healed. Now, this doesn't mean that there are no legal or relational consequences when someone has violated another person. For instance, someone has embezzled from a church, the church must report it to legal authorities. You can forgive, but there, there, there still are, are going to be those ramifications. The same is true when someone has abused or assaulted another in the way that it breaks the law. Also, if a, if a spouse is unfaithful in her, his or her marriage, they There will obviously be aspects of this broken trust that need to be worked through for restoration. But the larger principle is that when we forgive, we release the right to be paid back or to exact revenge. You can say words like, I forgive you, but words without heart change nothing and they mean nothing. We must learn to forgive from the heart. 
When the Moravian missionaries first went to the Eskimos, they could not find a word in their language for forgiveness. So they had to compound a word. And it turned out to be a word that meant this, not being able to think about it anymore. I can't pronounce the word, but that was the meaning of the word, not to be able to think about it anymore. That's what forgiveness meant in their language. Forgiveness is a choice to give the hurt to God and allow God's grace to flow through you. Here's the thing. When I forgive, it's not because I can't forgive. It's because I choose not to forgive. Because forgiveness is a choice. And of course, whenever I make that statement, someone inevitably says, well, you have no idea what I've been through. And to that, I would have to say, you're right. I don't. But I'm not, uh, understand this, I'm not giving the command. God's giving the command. And though I don't know what you've gone through, God knows exactly what you've gone through. As a matter of fact, if you were saved, uh, he went through it with you. He knows exactly what you've gone through. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that uh, he can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities because he was tempted in all ways like as we are. In every way you can be hurt, Jesus was hurt in every single way. And in some ways, by you and me. And so, what does true forgiveness look like in real life? How do I know I'm genuine or artificial in my forgiveness? Well, look to, at that response uh, uh, of Joseph to his brothers. And we already looked at Joseph earlier on in this um, series. But he's a great, great illustration See, Joseph faced many hurts in life, many specifically at the hands of his half-brothers. Although the Bible does not tell us specifically, we can assume from his humanity he struggled with it. You know, I I can guarantee you, and I'm not going to ask you to do it, but if I was to ask for hands, people to raise their hands, if you still struggle with the forgiveness of, uh, of someone, I think there'd be 90 to 100 percent hands go up and say, yeah, I, I, I still struggle at times. Even though it was a long time ago, the, the hurts can, are still there when I allow Satan to bring it up and then I allow myself to dwell on it. Imagine the struggles Joseph must have had toward his family. As a matter of fact, he even named his first kid after his struggles. And so we know this, that he thought about it, that it was a challenge for him. His brothers hated him. They betrayed him in the worst way imaginable. One of the worst crimes today, and it, it's, it, it makes the news constantly, is human trafficking. You do understand that that's what Joseph's brothers did to him, right? It was a form of human trafficking. And it was and whenever we hear of a family doing it, a family member, a mom or a dad or a brother, boy, then it just takes that crime to a whole new level. Well, you do understand these were his brothers that sold him into slavery. And what a terrible, terrible thing. 
It's possible, perhaps even likely, that Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers was a decision that he had to make over and over during those 22 years filled with difficulty and hurt that was a result of their betrayal. We're talking two decades, over two decades, that he would have to struggle with this. And I guarantee you that there were days where it would come back and he'd have to, he'd, he'd have to ask God for forgiveness and forgive. Maybe that the fruit of forgiveness we see when, uh, or, or it, it may be that the fruit of forgiveness we see when he finally saw them again was the result of years of his repeated decision to forgive. I am going to forgive. So as you make the choice to go against your natural way of thinking and obey God's instructions to forgive. Don't be discouraged if you don't see all the results immediately. Remember, God works on us. And one of the things we learn in the Word of God, one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience because our God's not a microwave God. He continues to work on us. He's working on us, and He's working on us, and He's working on us. It may take time as God's grace brings healing to you and flows through you. Healing always takes time. The deeper the hurts, the, the longer the healing. But forgiveness needs to be immediate. Don't let the time span in Joseph's life lead you to say, I'm not yet ready to forgive. It's going to take some time. Man, I am so glad that when I came to Jesus for salvation, as wicked as I was, he didn't say, you know... I just need time. I, I just need time. I'm so glad that when Jesus was on the cross and the thief was hanging on his side there, uh, the male factor, probably a murderer, when he asked Jesus to keep him in mind when he entered into his kingdom, that Jesus said, you know, I'm, I'm just not ready to hear this right now. Just, a, just, a, a, just a, a few seconds ago, you were making fun of me. I'm just not ready. Yet, that's exactly what we often do. And forgiveness is a choice. Rather, let it motivate you to, to, to make the choice to forgive immediately so God's grace can immediately begin working, healing in you, and flowing forgiveness through you. Understand the longer you take to forgive, the longer you're out of God's will. And the longer you're out of God's will, the more, the, the bigger the door you open for Satan to come into your life. What were the evidences then of forgiveness in Joseph's life? What do they tell us about our own choice to forgive? So I want us to notice four things, four evidences in Joseph's life that he forgave what happened to him. The first evidence of forgiveness, when I am forgiven, I don't gossip about you. I don't talk about you. When I have truly forgiven, I don't make my case against you. And by the way, that means this, Joseph forgave before his, his brothers ever repented. A lot of times we hold that as the standard. Well, if they never repented, I don't have to forgive. Oh, really? Because... If you're not forgiving, you're holding a grudge. And if you're holding a grudge, you got bitterness inside you. And bitterness and the Holy Spirit just don't get along very well. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, 
just a quick overview. We know Joseph was one of 12 brothers, 10 of them being his half-brothers. And for all its strife, we'd call his family a dysfunctional family. And so when we use that excuse for the way that we are, well, I was, I was in a dysfunctional family. Well, so was Joseph. But the Bible tells us that, that God was always with Joseph and he can be with all of us. Hey, Joseph was his father's favorite. And we know that it angered his brothers. His brothers sold him to slave traders when he was just 17 years old. Then they told their father that he'd been killed by a wild animal. Joseph was taken to Egypt where he was given great responsibility and trust. Still a slave, but we see he became the steward of his master's home. But then his master's wife lied about him making sexual advances on her when in reality he had refused her sexual advances. So now he is slandered. He's thrown in a dungeon as a political prisoner. In prison he helped others interpret their dreams the baker and, and the butler. One prisoner was released back to Pharaoh's court, the other one killed. Two years later, Pharaoh had dreams he could not understand, and Joseph was called up to interpret them. The dreams which Joseph interpreted, seven years of plen- plenteousness and seven years of famine. So Pharaoh made Joseph second in command over all of Egypt and gave him the responsibility to oversee the food storage during the seven years that there was plenty of food so that during the seven years of famine, Egypt would become a world power because they would have all the food. Therefore, everyone would come to Egypt to buy food, including Joseph's brothers. They didn't recognize him at first, but through a series of two meetings and a few tests along the way, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. So that's the story in a nutshell. After Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, others in the palace heard this amazing reunion. Genesis chapter 45, verse number 16. This is very interesting. The Bible says the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And this phrase here reveals a lot about Joseph's character. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. Now, wait a minute. This is a remarkable thing. Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh and his servants responded in a way that they were happy for Joseph. Man, we're so glad your brothers have joined you. Now, understand that Joseph now has been in Pharaoh's court for nine years. If Joseph had been talking bad about his brothers and revealing the truth about his brothers and what they had done to him, do you think that Pharaoh's reaction would have been, man, we're so glad your brothers are here. No, Pharaoh's reaction would have been arrest him. I mean, he loved Joseph, which tells us this. Joseph's forgiveness was so complete, he never said a bad thing about his family. He never said a bad thing about his brothers. If he had, it would have been very hard for Pharaoh to look at them kindly. And this is what we have 
to be careful about. When we talk bad about a spouse, we talk bad about a friend or whatever, what we're doing is we're making that circle that we're talking to, we are poisoning them. And so then, if I reconcile with that friend or if I reconcile with that spouse, I made it very difficult for them to ever look at that spouse or that friend the right way again. Which is why the Bible tells us that if you have odd against a brother or if a brother offend you, how are you supposed to resolve this problem? You don't go and start talking about that person and then seeking advice when actually what you're trying to do is get people on your side, people to make you feel good. The Bible says what you do is you go to that person alone, and if he hears you, you have kept your friend, you've kept a brother. Now, we know that there is a point where if it continues that then you've got to bring someone else in and then pretty soon it can become a, it can be a, a church discipline thing. But you know, you, do you know that if we handle it right, 99% of the time, God's way works. And then there's that 1% where people are so hardened that, that they'll not repent But Joseph was very wise. Joseph probably had no idea that his dad and his brothers would ever have the opportunity to come to Egypt and live. But he wasn't about to make it harder by vilifying them. And by the way, they were the villains. What they did to him. If there was ever anything that was unforgivable, what Joseph's brothers did to him was unforgivable. But Joseph forgave them. We know this because of this evidence. That when the Pharaoh and his servants and the guards heard that his family was there, they said, yes, Joseph, we're so happy for you. And they could be happy for him because Joseph hadn't gossiped. Joseph kept it to himself. And Joseph prayed to God to give him strength. Joseph's forgiveness had been so complete, he had not spent the past nine years in the palace, seven years of plenty and two years so far of famine, gossiping about his brothers. He hadn't made it his mission for others to think poorly of them and see what a martyr Joseph had been. Oh, I just, let me share my testimony with you. I've been such a martyr. Man, I came from this wicked family and my brothers they did this to me and they did that you know sometimes even with good intentions we vilify people and then we poison those around us so this aspect of forgiveness does not mean we don't again report crimes to law enforcement But it does mean that we don't seek to make everyone around us see the one who did us wrong as the evil villain and us as the helpless victim. Even if that that is indeed the case, and often it is. Instead, we put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. One of the indicators that we have not forgiven others is that it constantly comes out in our speech. It's constantly in our conversation. When we are eager to speak about what has been done to us, to anyone and everyone who will listen, we know that we are struggling with forgiveness. Titus 3.2 Speak evil of no man. Be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness. That's humility. And by the way, true forgiveness takes a lot of humility. Asking forgiveness takes a lot of humility, but sometimes I think that forgiving even takes more humility. But it requires humility. There may be times when, because of the depravity and extremity of what has been done to us, we need the help of a godly, mature Christian. And, of course, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 18 gives us that recipe of going to, uh, going to uh, a witness or going and getting a godly counsel, confidential godly counsel. But even then, the goal should be to keep it confidential and directed toward practicing forgiveness rather than using the opportunity to simply vent our resentment toward our offender. And again, I'm not talking about someone who has sexually exploited a child or something like that. That needs to be reported and, and, and the consequences need uh, to come down. Matter of fact, sometimes I wish the consequences were, were greater when it comes to those matters. But, but, but nonetheless, we're talking about I've been offended, I've been hurt, or uh, we're talking individually here. Pharaoh and his servants were excited about Joseph's reunion with his family because Joseph's forgiveness had helped keep him from sharing with others all the evil that his brothers had done to him. He did not poison Pharaoh. He did not poison Pharaoh's servants with his gossip. Had Pharaoh been angry with Joseph's brothers? Joseph could not have sent them to get Jacob and reunite the family in Egypt. And, well, then the story would have ended right there. So understand this. When I, for, when, I, when I have forgiven, I don't gossip about you. When, I, when we have forgiven, we don't take the opportunity to vilify the person who has hurt us. That's not true forgiveness. All right, number two. When I have forgiven, I'm not bothered by being around you. When I have forgiven, I'm not bothered by being around you. Hey, when Joseph's brothers showed up, he did not ignore them or avoid them. He could have. I mean, he had that power. He had that authority. He could have had someone else deal with him as he saw them. He could have said, you know, I, I don't even want to deal with these people. He had servants. He could have had them deal with him. But Joseph didn't. Joseph dealt with them specifically himself. His forgiveness was so complete. In fact, he went out of his way to provide a place for them to live, desiring for them to live close to him in spite of how they had treated him. In Genesis chapter 45, verse number 4, Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Verse number 9 of Genesis 45 
Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. In other words, hurry up, get here. Genesis 45, 14. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. The argument I always get from people is, well, that, that was family. Well, guess what? We're family. I mean, a church is family. Genesis forty-five seventeen, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beasts, and go, get ye into the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I'll give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. So when we are harboring an unforgiving spirit, we tend to clam up and often avoid the people who have wronged us. Sometimes people go to the great lengths to make sure that they do not have to be in the same place with someone by whom they were hurt and, 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 and toward whom they have bitterness. There can be people or extenuating circumstances that make being around a particular person obviously unsafe or unwise, but aside from avoiding these kinds of situations, there should be nothing in our own hearts that would make us unwilling to be in the presence of a person whom we have forgiven. Oh, I just, I just can't be in the same room with that person. Or we just, we're always trying to avoid activities where we know that person may be. There can be people or extenuating circumstances, like I said, where maybe it's unsafe or unwise. But we're, we're talking about... Um, our relationships with individuals, people who have hurt us. Even Adam and Eve found themselves unwilling to be in the presence of God when they sinned. But what did God do? God sought them out. He eventually shed the blood of an animal to set the pattern for what Jesus would fulfill in atonement and reconciliation to God. In this incident, however, we see God's willingness to forgive and to restore uh, proximity to an uh, to an offender, God sought them out, and God provided a way where they could be close to Him, and of course He prov provided salvation so that we, the offenders, God the offended party, we the offenders, and yet God provided a way so that we could not only be saved, but so we could have communion with Him so that we could pray with him, so we could enter into the Holy of Holies and obtain a grace and mercy in those times of need. So when we find ourselves withdrawn, unwilling to communicate with someone, seeking our forgiveness, it may indicate that we are harboring resentment, we're harboring bitterness. We find ourselves avoiding certain people, it may be that there's resentment in our hearts toward them. And therefore... The evidence is we have not forgiven. So when I have forgiven, I'm not bothered by being around the person I have forgiven. And then evidence number three. When I have forgiven, I, I want what's best for you. When I have forgiven, I want what's best for you. Getting back to the example of Joseph, he could have merely used his brothers to regain a relationship with his father but then made his brother's lives miserable. As a matter of fact, after Jacob died, remember their, their fear? 
they all got together and they said, now Joseph's going to get his revenge. And we've got to go talk to him. And they went and talked to him. And Joseph said, no, that, that's not going to happen. Joseph's forgiveness was complete. Now, undoubtedly, Joseph could have claimed his brothers as his personal slaves. He could have made them his servants. Hey, this is what you did to me. And now you're my servant. He certainly could have done that. Would have made a great ending to a, to a movie, wouldn't it? But he didn't. Because Joseph had forgiven them from the heart, he genuinely desired what was best for his brothers and even went to great lengths to arrange it for them. In other words, he went out of his way to make sure they had the best. Genesis 45, verse number 10. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. Thou shalt be near unto me. Thou and thy children and thy children's children, thy flocks, thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine less. Thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. He says, come, come with me, live by me. And I'll make sure you are well compensated. I'll make sure you keep your wealth and you'll become even wealthier. He wanted what was best for them. Genesis 45, verse number 18. Take your father and your households and come unto me. I'll give you the good of the land of Egypt. Ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded this, do ye. Take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives. Bring your fathers and come. Also regard not your stuff for the good of all the land of Egypt. It's yours. Genesis forty-seven eleven, And Joseph placed his father and his brethren. And he gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded and Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household and bread according to their families. But to a Christian who's right with God, there should be nothing like watching a repentant brother or sister in Christ be blessed. Because one thing it does is it reassures us. We already know. God's gracious and merciful. But when we watch it happen, and particularly when we watch it happen to someone who backslid and, and hurt us along the way, but then came back and got their heart right, and to watch God bless them and to watch God reestablish them, and sometimes they're even in better shape than they were when, when, uh, when they went out the first time, man, that is a blessing. That is exciting. That is a great thing to see. I can tell you as a pastor of 28 years, I have watched that and I've seen it. And it is so encouraging because you know this, God is a God of second chances He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. God truly is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Even Christians who have gotten out of his will, God's desire for them is not that he has to come down hard on them, but that they will come back and that they will repent and that God can reestablish them 
Amazingly, even as Joseph sent his brothers back to get their father, he told them not to trouble themselves with arguing with one another. Look at Genesis forty-five twenty-four. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. To fall not out signifies to be moved or disturbed with any violent emotion, particularly with, with anger. Joseph wished them to avoid quarreling. You see, there were some of the brothers that were more guilty than others. Some that were driving forces and some that just kind of followed along. And Joseph knew this. Why? Because it's just, it's humanity is what it is. And so as he sends his, his uh, nine brothers back, as he sends them back, he says this. I don't want you blaming one another for what happened to me. I don't want you fighting about it. What's done is done. I've forgotten it. You guys need to forget it. I have forgiven. Maybe there's some forgiving you need to do amongst yourselves. But do not quarrel. It it would not be. It would be counterproductive. Let's reestablish these relationships. Let's get this thing going. Go back, get dad and, and get everything and, and, and let, let's get it. At, let's forget the past. Put the past in the past. These are very wise words from the one who was wronged the worse. When you read this, you cannot help but be convicted about Joseph's treatment of those who so mistreated him. His brothers had done him wrong for most of his life. They'd hurt him irrevocably, life-alteringly. Though he suffered great pain, God had done a forgiving work in his life. An unforgiving spirit desires the worst for others, but a forgiving spirit wants others to succeed. An unforgiving spirit would say, I hope that on their way home they tear each other apart. A forgiving spirit says, hey, forget about it. Don't worry about it. The best is yet to come. And that's pretty much what Joseph is telling them. Our best years are not behind us. Our best years are in front of us. God's desire to reconcile us was so great that even though we were sinners with no ability to make things right with God, he gave his life for us. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died that we might have life. He died that we might know forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven. He offers forgiveness to us and wants what is best for us. Remember, he the offended party, we the offenders, and yet God wants what's best for us. You understand we don't deserve heaven, right? Yet if you're saved, we're getting heaven. We don't, under, we don't deserve the blessings we get here, the peace that passes all understanding. Yet we get it because God is a forgiving God. We then who have been forgiven by God ought to be freely forgiving others also desiring what is best for them, even after they have hurt us, if we truly forgive. Okay, so when I have forgiven, I don't gossip about you. When I have forgiven, I'm not bothered being around you. When I, am, when I have forgiven, I desire what is best for you. And then number four, 
when I have forgiven, I experience freedom and blessing. Tell you what, you want the burden lifted off your shoulder? Get rid of that grudge. You want that pain taken away? Take, take that chip off your shoulder. Extending our forgiveness to others doesn't always result in restoration of the relationship. Sometimes we forgive, but the other person refuses to repent. You know, Joseph obviously, as we can see by his actions, had forgiven prior to meeting his brothers and hearing them repent. Even in these cases, when we forgive, we benefit. Because we experience spiritual freedom. We experience God's blessing. In Joseph's case, there was reconciliation, including the blessing Joseph had of being reunited with his father. That, it doesn't always happen that way. It did in Joseph's case. In Genesis 45, verse 25, And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons with which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of jo- Joseph, their father, revived in Israel. Or, I'm sorry, Jacob, their father, revived in Israel, said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Verse number 30 of Genesis 46. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. In Genesis 47, verse 27, Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Joseph wanted what was best for them, so he provided what was best for them. Genesis 50, verse number 15, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent messengers unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive. I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did it unto the evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass. Boy, it's taken them all this while before they repented. But Joseph had already forgiven. The Bible tells us in verse number 18, I'm sorry, in verse number 17. So shall ye say to Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto the evil, And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not. I'll nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, comforted them, and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. So Joseph and his family experienced a reunion 
and joy in what God had done because Joseph had already forgiven. There had already been forgiveness. But even if Joseph's brothers had been unwilling to reconcile, Joseph would still have experienced the the previous blessings of his two decades of forgiveness. Remember, even before he was re, uh, uh, reacquainted with his brothers, Joseph had been placed second in command in all of Egypt. Genesis forty-one fifty-one, and Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. He had for he had already forgiven long before his brothers showed up. And of course, we can see in the evidence, there's freedom and blessing when you're right with God, harboring no bitterness toward anyone else. There's freedom. Sometimes we say words of forgiveness, but we don't really forgive. We hold on to the hurts of life and think we have something on the other person, but we fail to realize that freedom and blessing only come when we forgive. Not only are we expected to be right with God, but we're expected to be right with one another. And if we're not right with one another, then we're not right with God. When the Christians at Corinth were struggling with forgiveness, Paul told them plainly, contrary-wise, go against your nature. Forgive, he says. Forgiveness is contrary to our fleshly thoughts. But it's God's way for blessing in our lives. As a matter of fact, we can come up with all the reasons in the world why we ought not to forgive. And I don't have an answer for all of your reasons, but I do have just one reason that we should forgive. Because God says, contrary-wise, you ought to forgive. Is there anyone you need to forgive today? Remember, it's a choice to release the situation to God. It's a decision we make from the heart. But we should remember not to be quick to say the words without a genuine desire for God to change our hearts. When we make the decision to forgive, we will find God working these results in our lives. When I forgive, I don't gossip about you. When I have forgiven, I'm not bothered being around you. When I have forgiven, I want what's best for you. And when I have forgiven, I will experience freedom and blessing. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed.